Good morning, everybody. My name is Alan. Thrilled to be with you today. Before I jump into the message, I am talking about worship here today. And before I jump into that, I want to talk once again a little bit about Easter. We are having four identical services at 6.30, 8.00, and 11. We know from experience and from a little survey that we did this week that the 9.30 and 11 services are going to be well attended. They're probably, you know, that's going to be the majority of the folks coming to those two services are probably be uh, pretty full. Uh, and so want to let you know that the 8 o'clock service is probably going to be great, probably going to be full enough, um, yet it'll have some space in it. And I just want to remind you, as I uh, do pretty much on an annual basis, that 6.30 service, that, that is the one that every year, that's the one the Holy Spirit attends. And so... <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if you want the fullness of an experience, that's it. If you have, for whatever reason, if you are nervous about uh, coming on Easter, if you're at home and you're choosing Easter to be the first time for you to come back or a time where you're wondering about coming back, the 6 o'clock, the 6.30 service will have space at it. And so that would be a great one if you want to give yourself a little bit more space on that. Either way, whatever service you choose to attend, we, would, we are excited about you coming. We are excited about you inviting people you care about. And we want to enjoy the moment. It really is a joyful experience. That's why we celebrate the Easter time. It is a joyful experience to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. The reason that we have joy written up here behind me, the reason that the journal has a theme for this semester of joy, it says at the bottom, if you have a journal, it says part blue, joy. And so for these 18 weeks, we're right in the middle of the 18-week journey. And during this journey, we are looking at the different ways that God wants to bring joy into our lives. It's the, one of the reasons that Christmas, uh, one of the songs that we sing every year, it's an it's a absolute must. We have Christmas carols and then we think, you know, some songs are optional. One of the uh, must-be songs is what? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. We're going to sing that every Christmas, no doubt about it. It's one of the reasons that Ned Flanders' kids will sing, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Okay, one of the reasons for this is that it is supposed to be a joyful experience to be a follower of Jesus. It's supposed to be, have joy in it. it is, every day is not always happy, happy, but there is supposed to be joy in saying, I want to be a follower of Jesus. So, do you believe that? It, do you experience that? Would you say that your journey with Jesus is filled with joy, has joy in it? We are wrapping up the worship series today. We, four weeks we've been talking about Worship. And before I jump into what does it mean to be a worshiper and look at today's kind of, you know, focus for all of that, do you believe that the role of worshiper is a joyful role? Do you want to be a worshiper? Because there's no sense diving into what it takes to be a worshiper if you're not interested in being one, if that's not a place that you're interested in going. For example, I have said to my wife multiple times in different ways, I can help you 
appreciate the game of hockey if you're interested. I can break it down for you and explain to you why it is a great sport so that we can enjoy the game together. I've thought about it and I'm ready to help you understand how great the sport is. And every time she just says to me, I don't care. Alan, I love you, but I don't want to watch hockey with you. I'm not interested in appreciating and learning about hockey. If you're not interested in something, then why even enter in on the journey? So I ask you again, do you want to grow as a worshiper? Do you believe there is joy in having experiences of profound and deep worship with the one who created you? Do you want that? Because if you do, then we're going to talk about that for the next few moments, for the next 25 minutes or so. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I, I thank you once again that you, uh, you desire our worship, that you care about us. And so I, I pray here in these next few moments that uh, we would be open to what you have for us, that we would be open to a level of joy in worship that perhaps we hadn't experienced before. God, we, we can't go somewhere unless we're interested in it, unless we're, we're, we want to go there. And so, God, would you just, just nudge us here this morning in some new way to experience you freshly, we pray. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen. In the 1980s, there was an ad campaign from Calvin Klein for a perfume and that ad campaign was pretty famous. It was, it was, the perfume was obsession. And if you remember it from the 80s, it was whispering the word obsession. And, and it was spoofed and parodied in a number of different ways that were quite entertaining throughout that season. But it all came from an ad campaign that was really effective from Calvin Klein where there's obsession. Obsession. And they would have young, sexy models, male and female, who were looking at the camera. Obsession. Obsession. I know I'm not representing it well, you know, but, but, but that's basically what it was, is obsession, obsession, obsession. So, so when I say the word obsession to you, d does it strike you as a positive thing or a negative thing? It seems to me that over the past 30, 40 years or whatever, that the word has kind of leaned towards the negative. Now, one definition and a pretty consistent definition of obsession is something that, it, that excessively preoccupies the mind. Not a lot, but excessively. In other words, beyond good, beyond great, we're into excessive. Something that excessively preoccupies the mind. We even have a disorder that we're all very familiar with that is specifically connected to the idea of, of obsession, that people are diagnosed with OCD, and many of us here in this room have some level of obsessive compulsive disorder. And what does that look like, etc.? But does obsession always have to be negative? If you are obsessed with something, does that have to mean it is excessive in, in terms of it's beyond great, it's beyond good, it's something that is, that is a problem, something that is negative. Is it possible for someone to be obsessed in a positive way? Is it possible for someone to be excessively preoccupied with something and it turns into something positive? One might say that anyone 
who has done something extraordinary in their lives. They have invented something, created something, crafted something, designed something, whatever. If anyone who has done something extraordinary, magnificent in their lives, it's reasonable to say that at some point they were obsessed by that thing that they worked on. Is obsession always a negative thing? Would you say that you were obsessed about anything in your life right now? Would, would that word connect with something or someone that is a part of your life? If so, would you say that's a positive thing or is that a negative thing to be obsessed? Is it possible to be obsessed with Jesus? Is it possible to be excessively preoccupied with Jesus in your life? I believe it's possible to be annoying I think it's possible to be so obsessed with Jesus that the way you talk in certain settings and in certain ways that, that can be annoying to other people and not necessarily good for the cause of Christ. I think that's possible in our culture, etc. I think some of us might agree with that. But is it possible to be excessively preoccupied with Jesus in terms of wanting to learn about Jesus, wanting to know Jesus, and wanting to be like Jesus? Is it possible to be positively obsessed with Jesus. Now, the title of the message this morning is, I am always aware of you. As a part of our worship experience, the idea is, I am always aware of you. And week one, I value you. Week two, I notice you. Last week, I talked about, I adore you. And so today, as part of the worship experience, it says, I am always aware of you. If worship is about giving our attention to God, then what, what does it look like for us to, to always do that? Can we always do that? Can we always give our attention to God? Is it possible to do that, to always be thinking of God, etc.? If you're obsessed with a person, for example, you are likely always aware of that person when they're in the room, all right? I, I had a young man talk to me recently about a concern with a, a friend of his, a, a girl that he used to be obsessed with, and he wanted to talk with me about how to break free from that obsession and make sure he was not, because he understood it not to be a positive thing, and he wanted to break free from it. He said, Alan, how can I identify if I am obsessed with this person? So I thought about it for a little bit, and I said, well, when you're, when you're with her and a group of people, because they were still friends and they were still hanging out with guys and gals and friends hanging out, when you're in a group and she's there, are you always aware of where she is and what she's doing? Because if you're obsessed with someone, then you are always, what you can see out of the corner of your eye at all times what they're doing. You know, you know where she's sitting which direction she's facing, and if she's close enough to hear you. You know, for example, if you're hanging out with the guys and, and you're telling a story and you're making them laugh because you're telling a great story, or you're hanging out with the guys and you're, you're playing hacky sack, because I'm sure the kids still do that. I don't know what kid, what I may have kind of lost him, you know, in that part of the conversation, but whatever you're doing, if you're hanging out with the guys and while you're doing that, what you're thinking about is whether or not she can hear you make these guys laugh. 
that you're not engaged with the guys. You're obsessed with what, whether she can hear you or not. That you are thinking about whether or not she can see your mad hacky sack skills. That, that, that's obsession. If you're, if you're trying to be here, but all you're thinking about, you're thinking about what's happening over here. You're always aware of where that person is. If you're obsessed with Jesus, then you are always aware of his presence. Then you, are, you see out of the corner of your eye, you know that Jesus is with you. You've embraced this truth from Scripture from the very beginning to the very end. There is this, there is this macro message that says God is with us. God is not a grand clockmaker who set everything up in six days and then sat back and said, you know what, in a few thousand years I'll check in on you again and see how things are going. But the, from the very beginning there was a promise from God, I will be with you, I will be with you. Matthew, one of the disciples, he says that the last thing that Jesus said before Jesus ascended back into heaven, after the death and the resurrection and he hung out and then he ascended back into heaven, the last thing that he said in Matthew chapter 8, according to Matthew, was that Jesus gathered the disciples and he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all I have commanded you and I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. According to Matthew, these were the last words of Jesus. Being obsessed with Jesus means that we are always aware of his presence, always aware that Jesus is available, Jesus, around, Jesus is around, Jesus is with us. I think this is in, in large part, what the writer of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament was trying to tackle in this book. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Hebrews. We're going to take a look at chapter 13. It is a 13-chapter book deep into the New Testament. It's, it's late in the New Testament. We don't know the author of the book of Hebrews, which, you know, how much of a bummer would that be? If you wrote a book in the Bible and it made it into scripture and people were talking about it forever and don't even know your name. Okay, we don't even know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but what we do know is that it is called Hebrews because the writer wanted to make a connection between the Hebrew story, which is what we refer to as the Old Testament, and the Jesus story, which is what we refer to as the New Testament. The writer wanted to, to show a tie, but a connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is why the book is called Hebrews. So turn with me, Hebrews chapter 13. At the very end of this book, as part of his conclusion, as part of his wrap-up, chapter 13, verse, five, verse 15, the writer says, Through Jesus, therefore, and let me just pause there. I know I'm only three words in. That was a big setup for three words, I know. But let me just pause there for a second. Because you, you, you need to understand that the writer has spent 13 chapters talking about the superiority of Jesus. The book of Hebrews has been nicknamed by some over, over the years, has been nicknamed the book of better things. 
It's been, it's, been, it's been renamed or subtitled The Book of Better Things because in the book of Hebrews, 15 times we find the word better slash the word superior. And what the writer is saying time and time again, Jesus, the Jesus story is better than the Hebrew story. That Jesus is better than any angel that has ever been part of the story. Jesus is superior to any law that has been written as part of the Hebrew story. Jesus is better than any prophet that we heard about, that we read about, that we learned about. Jesus is better than any sacrifice that could possibly be made. Jesus is even better than Moses, the writer says. And this was a big deal to those who were Jewish and embraced the Hebrew story. The writer was saying over and over again, Jesus is vastly superior Through Jesus, therefore, this is a conclusion of 13 chapters of going on on and on about this. Through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. This this is a challenge to the idea that, well, praise, that's what we do on Sunday morning. What does it look like to continually worship? What does it look like to continually offer a sacrifice of praise? This morning is is, um, part of the Christian calendar. This is what we call Palm Sunday. That's why we have palm trees in the lobby. And this is the Sunday that begins what we refer to as Passion Week. It It is the week that leads up to the death of Jesus on the cross on Friday and then the resurrection that we celebrate on Easter Sunday. This is... Palm Sunday. This is the the day that we celebrate Jesus riding into Jerusalem, entering the temple court in Jerusalem. And he he was riding on a donkey, and there was an archway where he entered into the temple court area. And as he entered into that area, the people were celebrating, and they were waving palm branches, and they were setting down palm branches on the ground as a, as a symbol of victory and triumph, that Jesus was riding in on, in on the donkey. Jesus was entering the temple court, and they were yelling and, and, and screaming they were with praise. They were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They were celebrating, celebrating on Easter as a part of the Palm Sunday triumphal, triumphant entrance. And then, Just days later, that same week, five days later, in the same temple court, it wasn't a different city, it wasn't a different part of the city, Jesus entered the temple court, and then the trial of Jesus took place in the temple court. It was the same area, and it was the same group of people. Five days later, who were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The same people were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. How is that possible? I mean, you read the story and it's just unfathomable that anybody could flip so dramatically, so quickly. It's unfathomable. It would be like us gathering on a Sunday morning. I'm just, just hypothetically. It would be like us gathering on a Sunday morning. 
and singing, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. You're the one our hearts adore. And we're singing that, and our eyes are closed, and our arms are up. We're doing all of this. And then just days later, on a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Friday, we're driving in our car, and we're in a hurry. And we get to a stop sign, and there's one car in front of us. And we need to turn left, and the person in front of us is trying to turn left, and it's a busy road over here, and the person in front of us cannot find a spot to get through. And we look down to the right and to the left, and we think there's plenty of room you could go. And for whatever reason, they're being more cautious than we would have been. And so we sit there, and we and the, and the anger just boils up. We sit there, and we say, come on. And then we start yelling, the gas pedal's on the right. And we start to get upset, and we start to do all this, and we start, no, don't honk, don't honk. And then we're yelling, and everything gets all wrapped up. Five days after we were singing, Jesus, we love you. Now we're yelling at old people in the car in front of us. How is it possible that we flip so dramatically, so quickly? It's unfathomable, right? No, it's not. We do it. Every, and it does, for, for many of us, it doesn't take Friday. It's, thir- it's Sunday afternoon. And we flip. It is such a consistent experience. Why do we flip? How is it possible? Because we, and I'm not pointing my finger. I'm truly saying we. Because we forget. We forget that Jesus is always with us. We forget the reality. When we stop thinking, I am always aware of Jesus Because when we are not aware of Jesus, we go down paths that we know Jesus would not be all that thrilled with. So the writer sets this up, continually offering a a word of praise. And then he says two specific things that we would be mindful of. that That would be radically different if we were constantly aware of the presence of Jesus. He continues in verse 15. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So the first thing he's talking about are the words of our mouth. That the words we say would be different if we were always aware of the presence of Jesus. Do you ever find yourself saying different things based on who you're with? Of course you do. Do you, did you talk differently when you were at grandma's house? I had a friend from Cincinnati whose, whose father passed away. And I wasn't able to go up there for the funeral, but I watched the funeral online. And the talk of the funeral was that near the end of of my friend getting up to talk about his dad and tell stories, and and he did a great job. And it was about 10 minutes, but near the end, he he said a word that wasn't in his notes. It was just a little word. It It had four letters in it that he dropped at the end of his little message there. A four-letter word. And it was the talk of the thing. Some people thought it was hilarious. Some people were so offended by it, etc. He didn't even know that he said it because he was, he was, as he was sharing as part of the funeral, he was thinking about his dad and he was entering into the moment of hanging out with his dad and talking with his dad. And he talked like he would if he was just hanging out with his dad, forgetting that he was at a funeral at a very conservative church in the Midwest Bible Belt. And so I think the church lost a few more congregants that day uh, because of the word that was said, you know, in that sanctuary, you know, that, that kind of thing. 
We, we talk differently depending on who we're with. And I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about cuss words. I definitely don't think verse 15 is about cuss words. I don't think God uh, cares all that much about our socially questionable words that we bounce around that they're not allowed to use on the radio or on television. Or whatever. I'm not talking about those words. I'm talking about the ways we use our lips to hurt people. I'm talking about the ways when we know, we know those moments where we say something and, it, and we are intending to hurt someone. We know it's going to hurt someone. I'm talking about what, times when we use our lips to deceive in order to protect ourselves. And we know it. I'm talking about times where we gossip. Just times where we hurt other people. And we would think differently about the words coming out of our mouth if we were always aware of the presence of Jesus with us, not just on Sunday morning, but every day of the week, we would speak differently. I think the writer says that there would be a dramatic impact on us if we were constantly, continually aware of the presence of Jesus in our lives. It would affect the words that we say, and then verse 16, it would affect our actions as well. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Do not forget to do good and to share with others. He's talking about how we treat other people when no one's watching, when no one knows what you say, what, what you're doing with someone, the conversations that you're having, the way you're treating people behind closed doors. Talking about how we treat people that we believe are lower than us. I'm talking about the belief that anyone is lower than you. I'm talking about how we handle our work ethic when no one's watching. How we handle our hours at work. How we handle our time at home when we need to get something done. I'm talking about generosity and how we use the resources that God has given us. I'm talking about how we desire credit for things. And it's so difficult for us to pass credit on, etc. I'm talking about all of the ways that would dramatically change if we were always aware that Jesus was with us. Always and fully aware that Jesus was with us. At the beginning, I asked if you wanted to be a worshiper. Because again, there, there's, there's no sense going down a pathway if you're not interested in where that pathway is going. And I believe these two simple verses here in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16, I think they paint a pretty clear picture that when we honor God with our words and our actions, that is worship. That's worship. Here, here's the great news about that. I'm not asking you to do anything today. I'm not even suggesting you do Anything. We are always bombarded with do this, do this, don't do that. And, and in church, there's so often do this, don't do that. I'm not, I'm not suggesting you do anything. I'm simply telling you that when you and I honor God with our words and our actions, that is worship. And so if you want to go down that path, if you want to develop as a worshiper, then that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. When you take a situation that is, that is awful, that is terrible, you have been dealt bad cards, and you still choose to find joy in the midst of that, that is worship. 
when you have every right to really lay into somebody and use your words and just cut in and you know the words to say and you have every right to go after it and you choose to offer forgiveness, that is worship. When you want to run and hide, but you choose to stay engaged, that is worship. It's saying to God, you are worth it. Whatever I have to endure, experience, take on, lose, God, you are worth it. Have you ever said to somebody else, you're, somebody that you love, somebody that you deeply care about, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, one of your kids, and you're, and you're looking at them and you're thinking, oh, I'm trying to debate, can I say this thing, can I do this thing? And you just look at them and you think, you, think, you kind of say to yourself, you are worth it. You're totally worth it. So I'm going to do what I know is right. I'm going to do what I need to do. That's worship when we do that with God. As a reminder, that's what the word worship means. It means worth-ship. It means the worth-ship of God. It means us, no matter what, no matter what the consequences are, no matter how it might, we might gain less if we take this path with our words or with our actions. It's us saying, God, you're worth it. You're worth it every day. All day, every day, God, you are worth it. You might be wondering why there's this really cool bike here on stage. A while ago, I was jogging down um, Lakewood, the, the, the Lakewood Park thing. What is it called? The Lakewood Green, Green Pathway? What is it called? Greenbelt. Yeah. A while ago, I was uh, running down that. And if you're not familiar with it, it's a, it's a wavy, uh, it's a curvy uh, uh, concrete sidewalk with grass on either side of it. And I was heading south, and, and I saw this little guy on a bike about this size. He was about four years old, and he was heading north on this curvy sidewalk area. And his mom was about 20, 30 feet behind him. And I was, I was heading down, and I, I had full view as they were coming around this curve. I could see him just stop his little bike for no apparent reason. He just stopped the bike, and he got off. And he ran the 20 feet back to his mom, and he gave her a knee hug. That's, that's as high as he could go. He just, he just gave her a hug around the knees, and she just rubbed his little shoulders. And then he had a smile on his face, and he let go of her, and he ran back. He hopped on the bike, and he kept on going. And I was just watching the whole thing, and I thought, he gave her a mid-ride hug. That is so awesome. And I could see the expression on her face. Of course, she loved it. Who wouldn't want to love a mid-ride hug from her little four-year-old? And I don't know their story. I don't know many, how many times he does that. But there's a sweetness to this little boy that I got to see in there. Worship is about us on our journey of life. As we're pedaling through life on the windy roads... It's about us pausing, getting off our bike, and giving God a mid-ride hug. That, that's what worship is. It's being aware at all times, no matter where we are on the ride, it's being aware, it's always being aware that God is with us. That as we're riding our bikes, we, we know that God hears what we say to the other bikers coming the other direction. 
What we say to the other joggers coming in, that we know God sees us when we, in a positive way, take off of the trail and go down the super steep grass pathway and have that exciting little journey. Or when we go off the trail in a negative way and we go in a way that, you know, mom doesn't approve of and God sees all of that. It's, worship means being aware of all of those moments. And here's what I love most about the little bike. You are sophisticated. I know you are. I know, you, I know what some of you do for a living. You are educated. You are intelligent. You are complex. I know that. But on, on the ride of life, in the presence of God, you and I are riding a little bike with training wheels. What I mean by that is in the presence of a God who created the universe in six days, who carved out the Grand Canyon, you and I are riding a little bike with training wheels. What that means is that our Father who's with us always is not impressed by us. Wow, you did some amazing things that I couldn't do. That's not what our God does. Our God is with us always and loves us. And what God wants more than anything is for us to stop the bike, hop off, and give him a mid-ride hug to acknowledge, I know that you are there. I love you. I'm glad that you are with me. What God wants is our attention, our affection. And he wants to say to us on this journey, enjoy the ride, daughter that I love. Enjoy the ride, son, that I love. Worship is simply giving our attention and our affection to a God who loves us so much that he wants it. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are with us always. We can never ride fast enough to get away from you, ever, ever, ever. God, I know our lives are complex and they're sophisticated and there's a lot going on and we get stressed out. But in your presence, we're riding training wheels. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us on this ride to just, to just give you a hug, to, 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 that our worship can be an expression of simple love and appreciation for you, and that it would be no more complex than that. You want our attention. So God, help us to give it to you more every day, all day. In the name of your son, we pray.